listeners, and welcome to another episode of Compare and Campaign. I am your host, Tom Lando, and with me, as always, is my co-host and co- uh, What are you? I guess this time I'm a necromancer. Co-necromancer? Yeah. yeah. McGill, that's me. Man, a necromancer. And uh, this is being recorded on the 7th of December, 2023. Uh, this being episode 172 of Comparing Campaign. The show where we compare and contrast the campaigns of the past. Wait a minute. That was our, our thing, but now... It's mostly I talk about campaigns of the past, or rather campaigns of the recent past, games I've run relatively recently, although I guess it was in like the past few years. And um, meanwhile, McGill brings all sorts of things to the podcast, all sorts of wild role-playing games and whatnot, some that we end up playing. Yeah, these days I mostly, these days I mostly showcase new games, but... Like you said, we end up playing them as we as we have been with Wicked Ones, which I profiled on the show, and now we've launched a campaign, and it's going really well. I'm excited about that. Maybe in the future, the campaign that I will uh, compare to yours, the compare and contrasted campaign, will be Man, Wicked Ones. That'd be, yeah, I mean, the podcast kind of eaten its tail at that point, but sure, I'm down. I like a good... It's bound to happen eventually. Eventually, we I will like catch up to the present fully. You know that. It's the name of the act that I'm covering on my side of the podcast with Coyote's Aegis. That's right. And then over in the RPG Danger Room, I foreshadowed it last episode. I'm covering a game by Tom Bloom called Magna Gothica Malagast. And uh, the big twist is I thought this was uh, an RPG, but it is, in fact, a tactical war game with RPG yeah, elements. I was looking at, I mean, I, I you showed me the, <coughs> the, the document, and uh, yeah, it's quite, like, it, it's, it's very much like a little skirmish game. It's, uh... I was expecting Mork Borg, but what I got was, like, Mork Borg layered on to chaos reborn what is chaos reborn oh you don't know that one uh it's a video game by julian gollop and uh the idea behind it I, i'm sort of getting ahead of myself but this is very much the the style of malagast as well you have a a grid battlefield and each player controls in chaos reborn it's a wizard in malagast it's a necromancer and so your your wizard is a unit on the battlefield, and then using your wizard, you also summon like minion units that you use to do battle with your opponent. And that's sort of the same format as Malagast, where your necromancer is a unit on the battlefield, and then you also have your like subordinate units that you use to wage war on your opponent. Well, I looked into certain things in the document, uh but uh yeah uh we've we've got certain we've we've certainly got some things to talk about heck yeah 
But do we want to start with Coyote's Aegis, as always? Or is there anything else you've been up to, Tom? Any any RPG-adjacent stuff that you want to talk about? Um, man, I guess... Uh, if we're talking RPG-adjacent, then I guess I just recently... You know, I've... It's such a daunting thing. I... I had I have like two saves of Pathfinder Kingmaker that are both like almost at, like at the halfway point of the game basically and I just like had left them for so long and yesterday I was like man I'm going to I'm going to push through I'm going to I'm going to get one of these saves going again and so I started that yesterday and that's sort of RPG adjacent um has has some neat you know, encounter design, all that stuff. It's it's Pathfinder, you know? Um, but I think really in the realm of RPGs for me, I've been I've been playing Cypher, which is the system used for uh Numenera. Right? That's right. And our the, the podcast's only guest in history, Lucayo, is running that game. That is right? correct. Um and uh i am quite uh i i mean yeah it's uh it's a neat like sort of we're adventure we're like world hopping adventurers but then each world we go to we find ourselves in new bodies with new information about the world sort of uploaded into our heads so that we can like operate among the people of that world um and I've just been really excited about the the current world that we're in, where I have uh, found myself born into the body of a a spider person that, like, in the king in the world of these like animal people that we found ourselves in, the uh, insects and the spiders and whatnot are all part of a group that is basically like the the sort of evil fascist elite in that world and like the the man basically um and uh no t tom's the man i've i've found myself in the position of one of one of the man and uh i enjoy i've really enjoyed the dramatic challenge of that um and uh yeah were you telling me weren't you telling me that each of the worlds that your characters travel through are inspired by different rpgs no that you're thinking of my friend raffi's game which uh ah, that's yeah the one. that one uh that one's almost it's like nearing its conclusion i believe but like it's in a series it's in its like final act and it's just like i'm sure it's a series of insane epic battles and whatnot you know it, it, rifts was one of those worlds right um i don't remember if rifts was one of the hmm. worlds i was gonna say so it's not into the spider verse it's into the megaverse but i guess maybe it's not yeah man i would love to do into the megaverse though can still happen yeah, it's it's true. Didn't you hear? Palladium is back. Palladium's back in Pog form, um, in Ninja Turtle yeah, form. Yeah, Ninja Turtle form with like a million bucks to. We'll see. 
silence. Um, Silently, I mean, we will. <laughs> I'm I'm amazed that they got that much money after uh, the previous Kickstarter that didn't work out that we talked about. Yes. Um, but hey, it means that Palladium's YouTube channel is active for the first time in a year, uh, which is kind of neat to see. It'd be neat to see them continue to use YouTube for some purpose. Uh, but who knows? Who knows what's going on over at Palladium? I don't know about you, but I am ready for a new edition of Rifts. Really? <laughs> well, not to play. To muse over. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I... I'm I'm fine we've, with we've, the one we we've got. talked about this so much on the show, but like just to reiterate, like I don't think that the Palladium system is especially good for RPGs, but Rifts was just such a part of my childhood, uh, my young adulthood, and it was my introduction to role playing games in general. So new Rifts content, I am here for it, even though I will likely never play any of it. I would say that the present Rifts Ultimate Edition is like fine i guess um, i guess i kind of missed the wacky art from the first edition but whatever what are you gonna do not play rifts yeah but there's always that that you know what if i did what if i did <laughs> I mean, okay, Tom, what if you did? Would you actually use the Palladium system, or would you just do what you tend to do, which is use something like 5e and adapt the setting to 5e's rules? I did actually start, like, a very complicated sort of, like, 5e, or, like, I began to like project the idea of maybe bringing in more riffs inspired elements into the world of drail in the future um and did a bunch of like sort of 5e based uh ha like some ideas on how i could do that sort of crossover and i don't know i i still could potentially do it but you know the trouble is, is that's been so long since i even did coyotes aegis and i have to go back to that once we finish teeth and i'm just like it's 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 this it's backlog daunting. right well we've said it before but you know so many rpgs so little time it's it's not just that it's like it's like at this point i've been doing so much forged in the dark and stuff i feel like going back to 5e is genuinely going to be a bit tricky interesting see i'm at the opposite end of that i'm only now getting into running forged in the dark games myself from the from the gm side of things and i am still running uh my 5e forgotten realms campaign so at least i'm i kind of have it balanced but you know uh, the, i'm sure there's going to come a time probably over winter break where i play a lot more wicked ones than i do dnd yeah man yeah this hiatus it just keeps going um on that on that note, though, you know, I said so many RPGs, so little time, which is something else we've said on this show. But it seemed like in recent episodes, a sentiment you've expressed, which I 
also get, and I feel like maybe I've tried to express it, but kind of fumbled it, is just that, like, I'm doing the RPG Danger Room. Every episode or few episodes, I talk about a new game that I've found and researched. And, you know, sometimes they hit and sometimes they don't. But uh, on a recent episode, I was saying, like, at a certain point, you just kind of go like, but I got what I need, right? Like, I've got D&D and I've got Blades in the Dark. Those systems, D&D especially, has been refined for literally decades. And then Blades in the Dark, it's still pretty new, but it's, it's really versatile and, and easy to, to pick up and is gaining popularity. Like, do I need another system on top of that? If I look at a, a system I found and I go like, oh, this is just like, you know, this is like Blades in the Dark, but, you know, maybe with two rules that are different and a bunch of different terms. I just find myself going, you know, like, do I do I need this? Is there, Tom, is there value in what I'm bringing to the show at this point? Or are we just oversaturated with games? Too many to ever even play. I mean, man, if you want to challenge the existential, you know, fabric of the show like that, I, I don't know. I was just going to say, like, I've also got World <laughs> of Darkness on top of all that. You know, I'm still running World of Darkness on the side because... Yeah, you're running way more games than I am. Yeah, uh, well, you know, my 5v1 is on hiatus, and in the meantime, I'm running Teeth and World of Darkness. Um yeah um you were gonna run a game for a for a tattoo parlor right but is that not happening yeah, i don't anymore? think that's happening anymore all right okay and then you're playing in raffi's game and luca yo's game and wicked one not in raffi's game actually oh you're not i was i, I was uh, brief for some reason i thought I you were briefly in a sort of co-dm role uh when ah. he was running the world of darkness portion but uh, no, I that that I I'm not presently part of. When Raffi's game ends, Spencer's game will begin, and I will be playing in that. That's gonna be a whole thing as well. And I should say, like you've told me at some point, you'd like to pick up that that game based on Starfaring that that you were running and I was playing in as yeah, well. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's where we really get into like the so many rpgs so little this is time what I'm saying man like how do you prioritize prioritize all that um yeah but you know i've the thing is that through this show we have still managed to like find things that I go like, ooh, and I like am drawn away by that. Like Wicked Ones was kind of like that. Like we, I, I was already doing all this stuff, and then and then Wicked Ones came along. And it was all like, let's do Wicked Ones. It's true. It's true. And we dipped we dipped our toe in uh, Essence Twenty. That's true. I I perhaps I mean yeah I I got pretty into it for a little while there. We got really into the idea, but then it feels like we played the one adventure and we were all like, yeah, okay. Like, it's not bad, but, but, uh, like, that's one that I think of where it feels like the, the consensus between players and GM was just sort of like, all right, but this doesn't actually really do much that, you know, existing D20 systems that we play with already do. Yeah. That's 
Like, it didn't feel that different to me than something like D20 Modern. Whereas Wicked Ones, it does have that core of Forged in the Dark, but it has the other systems built on it where suddenly it's like a dungeon sim and uh, they're, all the setup is really fun and creative. The, the setup that we went through building our sandbox and picking the factions and everything. So that for me is like different enough from a game like, you know, Teeth, for example, different Forged in the Dark game that it doesn't feel quite as samey the way G.I. Joe did to me. Hmm. Well, Renegade Games continues to send me emails all the time about all the new Essence 20 <laughs> stuff they have. So, uh, you know, maybe if I'd stuck with it, I'd be super into all the mashup stuff they've gotten into at this point with, you know, having... My Little Pony and G.I. Joe and Transformers and everything. You know, I mean, I digress here, but getting a little tired of mashup stuff. Yeah, and like, I don't know that I'd want to get the rules for anything other than G.I. Joe. Like, I was, I was, that was expensive enough, basically, and mm -hmm. I was fine with it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mashup stuff just seems to be everywhere right now. Like, uh, you know, I I used to play got, a lot of Magic got the Peter Gathering. Peter Griffin and Fortnite. Peter Griffin and Fortnite. They've got Doctor Who in Magic. <laughs> They've got freaking Optimus Prime and Jinji Ito in Magic the Gathering now. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's just like, it's too much, man. Um. Well... But I, as I said, but I digress. Yeah, so I've been I've been playing the Cipher game. Um, I've been running Teeth, but not too much recently. Um, I play in Wicked Ones now, and I run. What's the other thing I run? Oh, World of Darkness. Wicked Ones? World Teeth. of Darkness. I'm World, still of Darkness World of Darkness, yeah. Bit by oh, bit. Uh, have oh, you, have you closed the book on Boots on the Ground? Because that was another thing you were running. Yeah, pretty much we Boots on the Ground just sort of gave way to World of Darkness, I feel mm. like. All right. Um, it was tricky. I, I felt that Boots on the Ground really sort of like lacked a kind of character, and I was sort of like really fumbling to find direction with it where the thing is I felt that the sort of jumping around uh phase based nature of it kind of didn't work for me in that sense because hmm. it made it hard for me to break down exactly where the trouble was and with world of darkness I was able to set it to like a scene by scene basis where I could really like sort of um, I don't know, ex examine the direction of the game at like sort of a closer level. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. And uh, yeah, sort of like direct things scene by scene so that there was less like, I don't know, nebulous area between the parts of the game. Um, which honestly, I don't know. I'm still, I feel like I'm still like laying out the track 
in front of me as I'm going, you know. Um, but, you know, players seem to be enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like I've already switched systems. And at this point, I'm like kind of locked into this one in my mind, at least. Hey, are we ever going to play Orbserver? Man, like if I can get excited for it again, maybe. I just uh, haven't been feeling it. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe after Wicked Ones, I'll run a game of Orbserver. Oh, oh man. that'd be cool. That, that might get me a bit excited for the game. Um, or it might just uh, reveal all its terrible flaws. No, no. Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah, okay, so are we going to talk about my game of Coyote's Aegis? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so when we left off, the players had just arrived at the central fort in the middle of Ashgrain Outpost, where they saw two fire giants and a chained stone giant slave hurling rocks at the Draelic forces like mighty living artillery pieces, determining that the stone giant would likely turn on his guards were they freed from their restraints, uh, the party took off to ex address the problem directly themselves. Um, roll initiative. Uh, roll pretty low, generally. Um, as they slowed their descent with the jetpacks coming down on the wall behind the fire giants and their captive, the uh, chaos of the battle is not enough to mask the roar and light of the flying devices. All the giants clearly see them. However, the stone giant continues to follow his existing orders, hurling another rock in the opposite direction off the wall. The fire giant on the either side of him pull on his chains to direct him to turn his attention to the party and they do, as they do. Both fire giants hurl large, huge chunks of stone at Connor, but he is able to dodge from side to side using the benefit of his cloak of displacement, causing both projectiles to tumble harmlessly past him across the wall. And Hex is up. Uh, Hex moves up and blasts the fire giant on the left. Uh, two clean shots to the chest. Third shot is a nat 20. Uh, the giant is slightly staggered for a moment as the third shot digs into his gut. And uh, then Alex has a moment of like, right, crucifix weapons are giant slaying, right? I don't need to turn them on for that to work, right? And I'm like, that is correct. So Connor... Uh, dashes in, summons his spirit shovel. Uh... Is it a... Well, man, let me see if I can say it without screwing it up. So does that mean it is a spirit shovel of giant slaying? No, because only the crucifist weapons are giant slaying. Only the crucifist no, ones. The, his spirit weapon is his, his golden shovel that he summons out of nowhere. feel like we're we're teeing up a real tongue twister here but it hasn't arrived yet um gent moves towards the stone giant using movement and dash for their action and then attempts to pick the stone giant's lock using their fast hands bonus action uh they give me a thieves tools check 
And Jake quickly rushes over and immediately begins jumping from shackle to shackle, undoing the stone giant's restraints faster than he can realize what's going on. With his freedom secured, the stone giant grins at Gent and snatches a huge scimitar from the ground nearby, turning on his former jailers. Uh, Gent uses the rest of their movement to move away as much as they can. The stone giant lifts the scimitar over his head and brings it down upon the wounded fire giant twice. Connor manages to sidestep the mighty Panabas. That's uh, one of those, I was talking about those crazy um, swords, those that big design of sword that like uh, has the huge hilt that I had the fire giants carrying to uh, like clear cut the forest. You remember that? I do indeed. That was a cool detail. Panabas. Um... Uh, used by certain ethnic groups in the southern Philippines. But which ones? Certain ones. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's pretty... Pretty big. <laughs> I wish I wish I could give more credit. <laughs> oh, well. That sucks. Um, so... Uh, Connor manages to sidestep the mighty Panabas of the fire giant in front of him, only for the fire giant to lift the blade directly into Connor's helmet on the upswing. Displacement shield is temporarily shattered, and Connor takes 57 slashing damage on the upswing. The other fire giant immediately attempts to slay the rebel slow stone giant, slashing into his back with the mighty foresting blade. Uh, Hex moves up and swaps the scimitar into his main ham hand. Sorry, his main ham. <laughs> uh, the main hand. But it's only on the third swing that he gets his hit. The fire giant steps back from the first two blows, which fall short. But then Hex gets him in the left ankle. Uh, and he manages to draw blood from the giant's ankle, but the giant does not go down because that's a feature of the giant slaying weapon is that... Uh, the giant has to save against being knocked prone. Bonus action. Hex gives him the laser blaster with the offhand. Uh, gets him in the right arm. And uh, does for 22 radiant. He says, now that's consistency. And my turn. And uh, after Hex, it's Connor's turn. Connor looks over at the stone giant's wounds and casts mass cure wounds at 6th level. Uh, meanwhile, the shovel attacks... Uh, for three force damage, smacks the giant in the right shoulder where the laser hit him. Um, everybody gains 40 HP except Connor who gains 48 because he's a, a life cleric, including the stone giant. Stone giant straightens up as if immune to the pain of the huge slashing weapon that cleaved into his back seconds ago. Uh... Uh, Gent falls back another 25, uh, feet to the edge, to the back edge of the wall that they're on and uses their oath bow to hit, to attack a fire giant. Um, the bolt just strikes the chest plate of the giant's armor, but it doesn't penetrate. The stone giant continues to hammer on the fire giant's armor with his scimitar, 
The armor is incredibly heavy, but this only inspires the newly freed slave to strike, strike harder and harder until the fire giant is nearly beaten down to one knee. Despite the lack of displacement shield, the fire giant still fails to hit Connor with his initial swing, cracking the ground with his blade as Connor steps to the right. Unfortunately, history repeats. The blade swings back up and to the side, striking Connor in the head for 31 slashing damage. Meanwhile, no, no. meanwhile, the fire giant attempts to strike the stone giant from behind again, but the stone giant turns suddenly and headbutts his former captor back. The fire giant, enraged, brings his blade up into the stone giant's chest in reprisal. Hex starts swinging his scimitar again and gets a nat 20 for 32 slashing. Hex takes the giant slaying scimitar and with one mighty stroke cleaves the fire giant's left arm from its body. It watches the wound bleed out rapidly and falls dead. That's one thing I feel like... Uh, this is just an errant thought that I'm having, but it's something that like <laughs> is relevant to me from Shadow of War. Is like there's a ton of animations for killing the orcs in Middle Earth Shadow of War, um, but you know that the death is gonna stick if it begins with you cutting off their arm because there's no thing for them fighting with their arm off. Um, <laughs> actually, that's not true. They can come back as the machine and have like a robot arm and shit like that. It's crazy. Um, but like, I mean that they won't like if the animation starts and you start hacking them up, they aren't about to do the death defying thing and like keep fighting. Um, and I feel like this is a rule here too, is like, I probably wouldn't start taking off the limbs of a monster unless I was actually going to have them just die. Interesting. Well, tip in your hand there. If any of your players listen, I doubt it. I guess if any of your players listen, uh, there are bigger problems. They've already heard too much. So Hex moves up to the second giant. Hits him uh, as the giant prepares to strike the stone giant slave again. Hex cuts into its right hand, stopping the strike. The giant remains standing. Third attack is a nat one. And then it is offhand blast. Uh, the So his blade is deflected by the heavy armor. And then he gets a quick shot in at the giant's ankle. Connor moves the shovel up and crits for six force damage. A strike to the left ankle. Connor himself moves up and shoots the remaining fire giant with his shotgun for 28 damage. A direct blast to the torso. Um, giant manages to get an unnatural 20. The bolt penetrates the giant's chest plate. Uh, the stone giant begins cleaving into the second of its tormentors. He swings into the fire giant's leg, left leg twice. The fire giant attempts to repay the injuries to repay the injuries inflicted by the slave. But the slave sidesteps the first blow, then ducks the, ducks the second. We're back to Hex. Uh, manages to draw blood from the giant's right wrist, and the giant stumbles to keep hold of his weapon, tripping backwards in order to keep it from falling his hand fall, falling from his hand. Hex does a cool jump and strikes again. Gent says, "Cool jump." He hacks into his right leg. <laughs> um, bat his left hand away from with the blade. As he fires down into his right leg. And uh, the giant is now prone. 
Connor is up next. Weird, something happened. <laughs> I guess we like Jen started asking questions and then I accidentally thought it was Jen's turn and so we sort of accidentally skipped Connor. So yeah, oh, no. whatever it happens. <laughs> um uh gent misses unfortunately the stone giant brings a scimitar down on the fire giant repeatedly mercilessly chopping off the fire giant's right arm uh before slashing him across the face finally the fire giant brings himself back to his feet oh man i broke my own rule i wasn't that's not true what i just said <laughs> one blow comes down and strikes the ground left of the stone giant. The blade comes down again and again, airs to the left. I guess he's only got his left arm. So he's airing to the left. Um, Jen says, glad at le I at least orchestrated the stone giant to fight. Um, Hex cracks the giant's chest plate and the giant sways on his feet, but he stays up. Second attack is a nat one. Giant sidesteps their second swing. But then they jump onto the bent to its bent knee, leap up to its shoulder, and decapitate the brute. Jen goes, Woo! Uh, Hex lands with a flourish at the stone giant's feet. Want to fight more? Connor asks the giant. Our army will help you. The stone giant nods. Looking out over the battlefield, you can spot his kin assisting in the battle. The giant is already armed, so it'll be simple for him to wade out into the combat and find a place for him to make himself useful. Jen says, I've grown attached to the stone giants. They all gain 1,000 gold each, payment following battle for assisting in assault on the central fort. Um, so Jen's new total is 2,000, no, 20,804 gold. And more importantly, they each gain 10,000 XP, which is much more than they need to reach level 19. Tom, do you ever use the the nebulous gold system that I can't remember? I don't. Does Five E even have it? I know diff different editions of D and D have had it, where like you don't actually count gold by the piece. What do you count it by then? You get a, oh man! Now I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, Wealth becomes an attribute modifier or skill. It's a bonus added to a d20 roll to determine the success or failure of purchasing an item against a DC. An abstracted system. You have a wealth score that says, what is your purchasing power? It takes in and rounds out everything like credit, debts, rent, payments, and renders it all into an abstract score. Some purchases don't impact your wealth. Like a sandwich at McDonald's is not going to noticeably keep me from buying a car. But some purchases do impact your wealth score. Anything over DC 15, anything higher than your wealth at 1, 10, and 15 point increments. Um, this is used in uh, some D20 systems that were out around the time of uh, 3.5, it looks like. I guess they probably ditched it by the time 5e came back. You ever dealt with that? You ever encountered that system? So, no. Not in the context of D&D, &D, but that is very similar to how wealth works in World of Darkness, where you buy mm. points in the resource merit, and that measures your general spending ability. Do you have a preference of, of wealth management system like that? Like, Do you prefer an abstract 
uh, wealth score, or do you prefer just counting the number of gold? I kind of like the Blades in the Dark way of doing it, where you have coin but your coin represents like large increments of money and like small increment like the same thing that you just said about like buying a sandwich isn't gonna cost you anything but like Mm -hmm. major expenditures do take a chunk out of your coin but um i feel like i feel like it's like you each different systems should have different answers to this and i find that like you know, tracking gold, it's like another, it's like you track that in addition to experience points in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Which, you know, is what I'm doing right here. Um, So they level up to level 19, uh, which everyone's real excited by. Jen's like, woo! Uh, Alex is like, nice. Um, their new XP total is 313,975. Gent now does 10D, 10d6 sneak. Uh, Gent gets an ability score increase. Uh, and I allow them to get the update immediately so they don't end up having to wait through the whole battle just to get their upgrades. Um, but, uh, I said, I'm not sure if it'll be a ding though, meaning spent HP and slots won't necessarily regen. Um, they might not get that ding. Yeah. (laughs) Not, not in the true sense of the word. Um, Connor gets a plus two wisdom ability score increase. Hex gets devastating criticals. Um, Gent says, hmm, which ability should I improve? Or should I multi-class into Barbarian? Ha 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 And, uh... <laughs> Alex says, nah, Dip Ranger, advantage on initiative. Not incredibly complicated at all, trust me. And, uh... Gent says, I guess I can go all in with the dex bump up. They say, going for that 20 dex? They say, uh... <laughs> well... Basically, I think they go with the 20 decks. Um, we, I gave them like a whole sort of rundown of all the updates to their character, basically. Um, like uh, new HP, uh, temp HP from Hex's food becomes not 19 now because it's equal to the level plus charisma bonus. Um, yeah. All the all all of Gent's attacks, the Shadow Song, the uh, plus two vicious life stealing rapier of wounding, the Sunblade Katana, the Crucifix Rapier, and the Hermes Compact. Uh, and uh, so, returning to the battle, assuming we're good to go, um, intelligence as indicated on the map. Of the outpost suggests that many of the primary locations therein lie on the southeast end. As such, the Draelic spearhead has pushed past, pushed to this point before meeting heavy resistance at the trenches that branch off from that end of the outpost. One of these trenches was easily taken, the one which leads to the forge where they liberated the serpentine slaves before the battle. Evidently, those creatures severely weakened any defenses that existed in the trench leading to the forge in their wrathful exit. 
This leaves three trenches. As they come to the southeast end of the outpost, Gog stomps towards them from the current front line. Fire dogs coming from that big cave den. Burn lots of guys at once. Too many dogs burning lots of guys, the ogre bellows, pointing towards the area marked den on their map. As they proceed toward the trenches, the ogre's point is illustrated. Both sides hold the line at mouths of the trench in a stalemate, but periodically the draelic lines are disordered by a blast of fire from a charging pack of hell hellhounds. Gunfire sounds from the central fort, where Morgor has taken position with a detachment of riflemen, where fire giants respond from the trenches like living artillery by hurling huge rocks into the massed draelic forces. Gog returns to the front, shouting to hold the line, but it's easier said than done. Looks like we t need to take these dogs for a walk. Heck pa Hex packs a fresh e-cell into his Apollo. Yeah! <laughs> Gent says. Connor scoff. Can you please just take this seriously for once? As they move for the trench, with split, which splits off towards the parts, points marked Den and Armory on their map, the soldiers of the front line attempt to push to support them, though it seems like a suicidal effort. A couple stone giants lay dead in the trenches while others have been kept at bay with notable injuries to show for it. Dozens of corpses litter the mouths of the trench, Draelic red cloaks and drow resistance fighters alike. It's hard to appreciate the damage done to the enemy in the same way as the defenders do not leave bodies behind so much as metal and ash. It gives you reason to, to re look forward to the future battle of the mantle. It'll be gratifying to see the corpses of human tyrants laid low for the evil they are responsible for here. Gent says, poor giants. Are they the ones I gave the diamonds to? And I say, they're not specifically the ones from the factory. There are still several that are alive taking part in the battle. They say, okay, I will not search the corpses. Say, or sorry, it was the one from the huts that you gave the diamonds to. But the idea is like, no, these aren't necessarily the same ones you spoke to. As the Draelic army moves to support the advance towards the den... Clearing out the hellhounds and Azur in their path as best they can, they steal. Uh, the party steals themselves for the inevitable bombardment of giant rocks to follow, but it never comes. Looking up to the sides of the trenches where the fire giants stand, they see that they have taken up their massive blades against one another. Looking back, they realize their illithid allies have joined the front line behind them. They stride in the trench into their wake moving to the sides of their trenches and oh, stretching snap. their hands up to the raging fire giants on the high ground above. As the party continues their push forward alongside the Draelic infantry, they cover you. They cover the group as they proceed into the den, engaging any hostiles that would obstruct the party's path. Hex is like, nice. Jen says, let's slice and dice. They enter into a massive cavern. Its walls are lined with large metal cages which are stacked on top one of an uh, on top one of an, another one another up to the ceiling all of them are open a fire giant stands in the cavern roaring and pointing at the party as four hellhounds scramble towards them a weak looking old drow with withered features stands at a summoning circle at the back of the cavern with whips, wisps of darkness dancing around him and a large black nodachi greatsword on his back effectively a curved sword so long that it could be used by a fighter on foot to slice a rider on horseback in half not to be confused with the odachi yeah right? um so uh gent is up first and seeks a place to hide the walls of the cavern are large lined with large cages stacked atop one another 
Gent may be able to disappear into one of those. So Gent moves and uses their bonus action to attempt to hide and uh, gets uh, 27. Uh, the hostiles inside the cavern seem unaware of their flight toward the cages. Then they would then they shoot at a hound from where they are with their oath bow, uh, and uh, hits the f closest hound to them. The bolt strikes the hound in the chest, and the creature whimpers from the sheer force of the blow. After Jen is his hex, hex moves up and shoots the frontmost dog with his Apollo and gets a nat twenty. Gets to try out those def devastating crits right off the bat. Once again, Jen is like, woo! Uh, as the injured dog tears towards him, Hex blows off his back right leg and its carcass slides across the ground, leaving a trail of sizzling blood. Uh, second shot on this next closest dog, um, which is just within range. The hellhound keeps coming as, as Hex blasts it. Um... At the back of the cavern, the group sees the drow's summoning circle flare, and a tiny demon emerges from it. Jet says, oh shit. The demon scampers towards the group, the, towards the fight, then suddenly disappears from sight. The fire giant comes rushing towards Hex, then leaps up, hurling a huge stalactite down on him from above. I like that the reaction to the tiny demon was, oh shit, but if I was in a game and my DM said a tiny demon, I'd be like, aww. <laughs> just a little fella yeah i don't know i there's something about it that strikes me as it being like a, a sarcastic oh shit it's like oh shit uh, a tiny demon <laughs> oh shit here it comes uh so hex takes 50 blunt damage as he gets slam dunked with a stalagmite and uh, he says ouch and jen says damn the Hellhounds move to surround Hex and incinerate him with blasts of fire deck, fire breath. Hex must make three dexterity saves. Uh, waves of fire beginning from Hex's feet and cursing over his body from below engulf Hex, but he grits his teeth through the searing pain. Taking half, Hex takes 21, 21, and 18 fire damage for a total of 60 after each Hellhound is attacked. But that was only half. Um, then it's Gent's turn. Uh, Gent getting another turn because they get a second turn uh, on the first thing in initiative because of being a rogue. It's something I'd actually forgotten in the last fight. They get to go twice on the first sort of round of initiative. Um, so, Gent shoots at the hellhound that Hex uh, uh, goes to shoot at the hellhounds that hurt Hex. Uh, one of them has already been shot and is granted sneak due to proximity to Hex, so they go for that one. The hound is struck with a bolt of darkness from the left side, and the hound falls dead. Uh, Gent sneaks closer to the damn demon maker uh, and uses uh, stealth. Says, I'm, I'm afraid I'll be crushed if I don't. And uh, they are totally undetected. Nothing in the cavern is tracking their movement as they climb from cage to cage. At Connor's turn, Connor ru runs up and blasts the dog to Hex's right uh, for 18 damage. Um, Connor holds back the hound's advance, shooting its front, shooting it in its front legs. Uh, he then summons spirit weapon at level four and attacks the same dog. 
Uh, the Hound is leaping to attack, but Connor keeps pushing it back. Um, back to Gent. They aim for another Hound from hiding, uh, and uh, they attack one of them with an unnatural 20. They strike the Hound in his back left leg with a bolt of shadow, and the Hound falls dead. Gent says, how far from the Demon Circle guy? Um... And I say the Drow Mage is still 90 to 95 feet away. And uh, they say, all right, I'm going to sneak up some more if I can. 27 stealth if I can. And that's my turn. Say, so, yep, you're stealth. Uh, Hex's turn. First shot is at the dog to his north. Je I say, Gent, you become aware of something invisible scampering past you. Almost certainly the demon. Not close enough for an opportunity attack, but close enough for Gent to detect. Because Gent has uh, blind sight up to like 10 feet. Uh, Hex gets a headshot on the dog. Then does for 17 damage. The second shot, uh, shot lands in its right foreleg. That's third shot. Uh, the dog bleeds heavily from its right side, but it continues to fight. And then he makes an offhand slash with the scimitar. With a single sweep of his blade, he removes both the dog's front legs and it falls to the floor. Uh, this leaves just the drow, the demon, and the fire giant. And the hex moves up to the fire giant, ends his turn. The mage is suddenly enveloped in pitch black darkness. Gent says, boo. As Hex stands before the hulking fire giant, the brute lifts its massive foresting sword and brings it down directly onto Hex. The blade tears across Hex's face and cuts deep into his left shoulder, eliciting a spray of dark blood as it is pulled back from the gash. Hex takes 37 slashing, then 52 slashing. Um, Hex is down. Connor, oh, no. Connor moves up and bumps Hex with his channel Divinity. Hex gets 95 HP. Then the shovel no, moves up nothing. and attacks the giant. Uh, clocks the giant across the head for 12 force. Connor moves up a little as well. The giant growls. Tom, remind, the blow remind me, have have any of the players actually gotten to like the brink of death? Multiple death saves in this campaign? I mean, not since the early campaign when people... Yeah. Died all over the place. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, right. So, Gent, uh, says, huh, okay, so the demon mage is in pitch black and the invisible demon walked by me. No worries. I planned on shooting the giant anyways. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it was not their plan as they had been spending several turns moving towards the drow. Um, <laughs> but uh, managed to hit the giant, skewers the fire giant's right leg from behind with a bolt of shadow, and then uh, Gent gives up their hide to shout, we have an invisible asshat walking around here. And I say, mere seconds after you say that, the tiny demons appears at the fire giant's feet. Hex must make a wisdom saving throw. Hex gets a six. And has no indomitables left. And so, like an elephant to a mouse, Hex is suddenly caught off guard by the tiny demon appearing from nowhere at the giant's feet. And he is frightened. Um, on Hex's turn, he makes his attacks at the demon with advantage, with disadvantage, uh, starting with some pistol blasts. Uh, with a coarse yelp, Hex fires wildly at the demon. 
As Hex blasts at the creature, its tiny head is removed in a single beam of radiant energy. Um, Hex puts his third shot into the giant. He's still frightened uh, and lands a shot beneath the giant's right eye. Uh, Hex remains shaken by the sudden unforeseen appearance of the vile little demon and the darkness rushes towards Jet suddenly. Jet must make a dexterity save. And uh, the fire giant attempts to swing at Connor, reaching out to catch him with the mighty foresting blade before he can slip past. Connor leaps over the blade as it moves towards his leg, rolling away as the swing cleaves through the empty air. Uh, Paylor's light illuminates the darkness in Connor's eyes so that the darkness does not obstruct his vision in any way. To him, the drow is standing out in the open. Connor throws a guiding bull at the summoner and uh, gets a nat one. <laughs> uh, then the spirit shovel uh, does 12 damage to the uh, giant. The shovel makes a ringing sound as it rattles the giant's helmet. Then back to Gent, um, shoots the giant, gets him square in the back. The giant roars, attempting to reach the small of its back and to remove the shadowy bolt that disappeared into it fruitlessly. Hex swaps the scimitar into his main hand and gets ready to do some more cool jumps. Hex cuts into the giant's right arm, but it still stands. Hexblade scrapes the giant's armor harmlessly, but then Hex leaps up and slashes the giant across the face. The giant barely even bleeds from the cut they deliver from its to its face. The giant attempt moves to swat them away, but they hold back its hand by shooting it with the laser pistol. The drow rushes forward, cloaking both Connor and Jent in darkness, completely unaware that Connor can see through it, and Jent can now fight him without difficulty thanks to her blind fighting training. Jent flashes back to Jent in Kunku College, walking around with a blindfold on. Connor sees the drought helplessly strike through the darkness at him, slapping the ground with his massive blade. And then uh, Alex says it out of character, wandering around the magic kegger with a lampshade on their head. Uh, <laughs> the fire giant begins slashing at Hex with mighty swings from overhead. The first blow lands with a 26 to hit if and uh, does uh, 52 slashing damage. And then the other hit is uh, 26 for 77 slashing damage. Hex goes down again. Then it is Connor's turn. Connor throws healing word at Hex for 7 HP, then does some stablin at the summoner with an unnatural 20. Connor shoves the javelin into the drow's chest. The mage grits his teeth as the javelin cracks his ribs. Um... Uh, Gent takes out their sword of life stealing. I note the scary night side eclipse sword is out. Uh, and they swing at the mage. They get him in the leg. Fool that he is, he thinks he only has to worry about Connor. Um, suddenly the darkness dissipates. Uh, the drow screams, and with his scream, the darkness drains away, leaving him exposed between Gent and Connor. Uh, Hex hops up onto his feet, chugs a supreme healing potion, uh, starts swinging with the scimitar. Hex leaves a shallow cut across the giant's chest. Um, but unfortunately, 
His uh, later attacks do not hit. Hex clambers up the giant's right side, but the giant throws him back off. He's bloody, but he's still tough enough to win a fight. Um, however, I had forgotten the crucifist effect, and in fact, the giant falls over. Uh, and so uh, Hex actually gets to roll his attacks with advantage because he'd be attacking the giant. Uh, giant on the ground unfortunately he misses both of the attacks again so the giant just lies there hexing kicking hex away um hexes could use paler's blessing right about now which is a funny thing to say because he's controlling the uh cleric of paler the fire giant stands up Prepares to spring his massive blade down on Hex twice more. The first blow misses. Hex dodges to the side, but the second swing sweeps into his legs for 27 to hit for 25 slashing damage, reduced by rage. Um, that is Connor's turn. Connor does some more stabbling, but misses the summoner. The drow sidesteps the thrust. The shovel attack against the giant also misses. Jen is up. Jen gets a nat natural one, though. Um, back to Hex. Hex gets to chopping. The giant falls prone. Blood pools around the giant from its grievous wounds, but the brute still breathes. Uh, Hex does an offhand attack with the Apollo. Um, the drow turns invisible. Uh, Hex takes 27 slashing after reduction. Uh, the fire giant swings and misses, then swings and hits. Uh... Connor hits the giant with his shovel. The giant sways on his feet. He's nearly dead. Um, Connor blasts the giant with his shotgun, uh, but only for 10 damage. Uh, Jen attacks uh, the invisible drow with a nat 20. Jen sticks her rapier right through the drow's face so that he reappears with a piece of thin metal impaling his head. Um, Hex uh, attacks the giant. Hex leaps up. Batting back the giant's blade, then brings the scimitar deep into the giant's throat. Blood cascades from the giant's neck as Hex falls atop its corpse. Jen says, well earned. Hex chugs another potion. Everyone gets 10,900 XP. And uh, that is where we broke. Hell yeah. Finishing the battle in the Hellhound Den. It was quite the epic battle. Yeah, did you enjoy listening to it? I liked that. I liked the variety of enemies. I, I mean, mainly I just liked the appearance of the tiny demon, uh, an invisible asshat, I believe he was referred to. Yeah, but he also scared uh, Hex. Hex, the brave mm -hmm. uh, barbarian warrior, was scared of a tiny demon. Yeah, 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 I dug that. Hex went down twice. But uh, luckily, Connor was the turn right after him. So both times, he was just like... Zzz. Lots of giant-themed combat. Yeah, the fire giants are real tough, too. I had them with, like, 300 HP. And, I mean, you saw the damage they were dealing out to Hex. It was crazy. Pretty cool. Speaking of pretty cool, let's get over to your side of the podcast. All right. Hey, activate the RPG Danger Room. Here we go. Um, yeah. 
not me. We're going to be talking, as foreshadowed, about Magna Gothica, Malagast by Tom Bloom. And I already gave the rundown earlier, but uh, I'll just reiterate that this is a, uh, it's a tactical skirmish war game where each player is a necromancer and uh, there is a grid map with different environmental factors and things like that. And your necromancer is a, a playing like a playing piece on the map, and you also summon other kinds of units to help in your battle, and and that's what it is, man. It's designed to last about six turns, uh, I guess six probably six rounds, and uh, it seems all pretty straightforward in terms of like what we're dealing with. Like I probably I'm going to read from the rule book, but I'm going to read more about like the lore of the game than I am the actual rules because the rules are pretty simple. You know, you got your units on its turn. A unit can move and act in any order and act is like use one of their special abilities, usually attacks uh, or they can forego acting and move twice. There you go. Once all units have taken a turn, a round passes, and a new round starts with the side that didn't act last, or you could play clockwise if you have more than two players. Yeah, units have, you know, a few stats, uh, like armor and HP. They have some traits, which are passive abilities. They have their their acting abilities, which, as I said, are usually attacks. And then there are like a couple of other actions that they can take. All of this detailed on a sweet little unit card. So just like a pretty straightforward little skirmish, you know, war game that you could play theoretically with miniatures. Though this is designed to be played on a virtual tabletop. And uh, looking through the source book... Uh, I mean, in terms of gameplay, I mentioned it already, but reminded me a lot of Chaos Reborn. Chaos Reborn uses a, a hex map, but uh, it's the same sort of idea where your wizard is a unit on the battlefield and on your turn you get to summon different units that you can use to launch attacks on your enemy. And then uh, also a lot of the art uh, detailing how the game is played, like the actual rules... They're, they're shown on these isometric uh, grid maps, and the just the art for those ones reminds me a lot of the game uh, Into the Breach. You ever played Into the Breach? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love me some Into the Breach. Um, so I was reminded of those two things. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, it is, in terms of the actual gameplay, this looks like a, a pretty straightforward... Uh, little war game looks pretty fun um, I will say that uh, I found that uh, somebody has ported it over to tabletop simulator might be fun at some point to, to give it a shot in TTS um, but the the package that you can get off of itch.io for the hilarious price of six dollars and 66 cents uh, it comes with the rule book the rule book itself has a bunch of different pre-made unit cards if you don't want to make your own units, but you can. Uh, and it also comes with a bundle of pre-made tokens for Roll20. So like when you buy this thing, you get everything you need to start up a game of uh, Malagast uh, pretty quickly. 
maybe I'll take the plunge at some point. I think I'm maybe a bit more inclined to try it out on Tabletop Simulator than Rule 20, but uh, seems pretty cool. Um, now, before I get deep into the lore, the lore is the thing that really sold me on this, the lore and the art. Uh, I will say I've been looking more into Tom Bloom, and I'm just, I'm really intrigued by what other stuff Tom Bloom has come up with. Because my, I didn't know anything about Tom Bloom before Malagast. But apparently he's best known for this uh, tabletop RPG called Lancer. And you you indicated you yeah, had at least heard of, of Lancer, right? Oh man, speaking of uh, Into the Breach, it's a big old mech Yeah. Game. Yeah, it's a it's like a mech combat game. Also has dope art. I'm looking at the the webpage at massivepress.com/lancer and uh man, these mechs look awesome. They look really wicked. I love me a big mech game, so I may uh I'll probably profile Lancer uh if not next episode then on a future episode for sure. But uh uh and on top of that, uh apparently Tom, under the pseudonym Abaddon, has a long-running webcomic called si Kill Six Billion Demons. Yeah, I told you about that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, and it's pretty funny because uh, my, my assumption was that Kill Six Billion Demons was, in fact, uh, a different game. But no, it's a comic, right? Yeah. That's cool. Have you read it? Uh, I had read it at a certain point, I uh, but that was ages ago, so I imagine it's way longer now. Uh, let me see here. What's, no, the, what's the... Do. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, it has literally been running for 10 years. It started in October 2013, and there was, a, there was an update this month. So, it's been going for a decade. And uh, it was just, it was funny researching Malagast and researching Tom Bloom because everywhere uh, it would be like, Tom Bloom, creator of Lancer and Kill Six Billion Demons. And uh, it doesn't seem like either of those things are exactly like Malagast. It's like a comic and a different style of RPG. So, I don't know. Well, I just found it funny. Lancer is known for its, like, its crunch, you know? Like, it is very, like big tactical grid stuff but see i don't even think that malagast is especially crunchy like to me the the rules for malagast seem pretty straightforward in terms like the 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 thing that would take the the most time is creating your own team of uh of units but like i feel like i could pretty confidently dive into this quickly with all the prefab stuff that comes with the source book Got the tokens, you know, each uh, each necromantic house has, looks like, uh, six pre-made units with their own cards. I feel like I could just grab one of these teams and, and go pretty quickly. Uh, so I don't know if this is, is too crunchy. Uh, do you know, is Lancer, is Lancer, like, tactical? Is uh, having a, a map, a battle map with units a big part of it? Like, yes, but it is not like a skirmish game like this is, to my knowledge. Okay, so it really it really is like a role-playing game first and foremost. To my knowledge, yeah. But like, with Well, I'm going to have to look into it more. Game. Yeah. Yeah, clearly I'm going to have to dive into, into that one next. Um, 
So let's talk a bit about the background of Magna Gothica, Malagast. Uh, man, I just, I really dig the art on this one. Uh, I feel like it does set itself apart from Morkborg. You were talking about how, like, this just looks like another Morkborg, right? Yeah, but and, clearly it isn't. Now that I see and, it. And you're also not the only person to, uh, to say that, because I was looking up some YouTube reviews. Many comparisons to Morkborg in terms of aesthetic. But, yeah, definitely not the same style of game. Um, the, the opening scrawl here there's like a if this was in a print edition this would be a two-page like splash page uh right at the start it says at the end of the world is a hole in the hole is a city the city is sliding into hell that's pretty badass awesome looking art um you ever i know the answer here is no tom you ever heard of a book called pile i don't think so let me just uh, let me just find a, an image. I wonder if I can see. I it was a childhood book of mine um, that I still have, but nobody else I know is familiar with it. But it's all this like it's all bl stark black and white art that deals with a lot of uh, like perspective, like this splash page. And Pyle is the name of a city. Uh, and so it's like this crazy sort of M.C. Escher mechanical city of horrors. And all the illustrations look very similar to like this big city on the splash page for Magna Gothica. Uh, something else that I, I like about this, it's a cute little novelty. And something I think would appeal to you, Tom, is that this book has a soundtrack. And not just like... An original soundtrack but if you look uh, do you have it in front of you you're looking at that splash page i'm talking to yeah i'm talking about yeah look in the bottom left there's a soundtrack for the page uh the song the eternal return to ruin by black tongue nice and uh there's a lot of that through the book um so here's here's the deal the end of death the city has many names the black city the zenith the Eglin Lilith, the end of hope. Most know it by Anzin Mezeron, the city of one billion corpses. It was built before memory and will persist long after the world of man has crumbled into dust and ashes. Fools come, crossing waste and crag, time and space, to the end of the world to seek Anzin Mezeron for one reason. In this grand ne necropolis, death is broken. What dies in the Black City never truly dies. It may be cut apart, scathed into a million pieces, thrown to the wind, burned, salted, and scattered. But it will still return in some form or another in six days, awakening with lungs full of tomb dust in some part of the city. This is because in the center of the city, deep in its labyrinthine bowels, is the ending of death. Nobody knows what form it takes, whether it is a last angel scorned by the Almighty, an icy black throne, an obsidian heart torn from a dying god, or a tumor of curses buried deep within its dark and twisted corpulescence. It waits for you. Page soundtrack, Meshuggah, the song Shed. Um, hell yeah. Um, there's a great splash page here, just like with the... The types of beings that inhabit Anzimezeron, the city of one billion corpses. Um, 
Common city occupations include cultist, occultist, gravedigger, ghoul, rake, blood chattel, beggar, waste of skin, rogue, varlet, unholy reprobate, corpse botherer, banner slave, deformed cannibal, undercity gangster, thrill seeker, demon surf, profiteer, godforsaken beast, pauper, plague bearer, knave, wastrel, and bloodthirsty ne'er-do-well. And the city's primary exports are necromancy and ghouls. And... I just, I dig this art so much. I love all these different characters. The the waste of life. I mean, he just looks like a pretty depressed dude. And then you got someone cool like Yorg, the Keeper of the Key, who's like a big ogre creature with a, a pentagram, I guess, uh, uh, branded onto its face. It's the god of all rats. There's the Teeth Picker. The Teeth Picker looks like the kind of being you'd like. It seems like it has some, some tom, goblin-y tom flavor to it. Uh, I don't know. He kind of looks like that one guy from Slipknot. Oh, <laughs> you know, I hadn't th- hadn't thought of that, but yes, yes, that's very true. Um, I won't read all of the lore here. The next page has some great, like, like vistas, landscapes, and locations throughout the twisting city. Nobody has found the center of the city, but that doesn't stop fools. Um, the idea, of course, is just like, this is, it's, I don't know, man, it's a city built on heavy metal, it's sliding into hell, it's full of dead and undead, and, uh, and necromancers come there to seek the end of all death, the, which I guess is like this, the ultimate secret to never dying. There's a cool profile page with you know, the, like the anatomy of the necromancer. You got a necromancer here. She's splayed out like the Vitruvian man. And this is the uh, has image a... that like most made me think that this was going to be like Mork Borg was like all yeah, the list it of is... items and stuff is like, and it's, it's all flavor. It's all flavor yeah, here. It's not uh, you know, maybe one or two the of these is. things. Yeah. Maybe one or one or two of these things are items within the game. But for the most part, this is just like, Look at this cool-ass drawing. Yeah. This is super cool. Stitched-up uh, necromancer with uh, all this stuff, with a cat-skin bag, a corpse lantern made from a dead man's hand, a captive devil, the a shrunken, shrunken head, head of, of Cruel the Slaughterer. Cruel the Slaughterer. A screwdriver for emergencies. Cape and a death mask. I like the death mask. is like a spiky skull, not the typical you know, death mask there cigarettes it's just like smokes in a pocket flask in there the skin bible of gormengar the dead god kibble great for zombies yeah uh there's a blurb here on necromancers um i'll just read the last bit only the most powerful necromancers those from a major house who have undergone the trials to cheat their own death who have fortified their souls and minds against spiritual degradation set their sights on great things to seek the end of death in the stygian depths of the city whatever form it takes and grasp that power for themselves becoming a true lord of darkness the rightful rule ruler of anzimezeron that's you by the way <laughs> the book says that's you by the way you're a necromancer um you expressed interest when I first talked about this uh, in these the six great houses of necromancers. Oh, yeah. So what these are, they are just, they're the different factions. You pick your team based on the great houses of the necromancers. And they are Carcass, which is uh, spelled out as an initialism. 
but I can't I can't figure out what it stands for. Maybe I missed the part where it actually tells you what Carcass stands for. Carcass is a legendary private military company relying on the power of their house's pact with their commanding officer, Carson Carrion, the Bone Carapace Devil. Their skeletons fuse and grow over time and must be trimmed and cultivated with forbidden bone tactics bible techniques. With this ability, they are able to create incredibly powerful fusions of bone and metal, weapon-laden constructs, and reanimate marksmen. They are well known for their signature power armor, their formation tactics, their mastery of gun kata, and their stratagems, which rely primarily on liberal application of overwhelming firepower. And each house has, like, they indicate the play style, which is great, helps you sort of settle on one, a few special mechanics that are unique to the houses, and each faction has its own soundtrack too. Uh, in this case, uh, stuff by Within Destruction, Baby Metal, and Igor with three R's. I only know Baby Metal of those three. Do you know any of these uh, besides Baby Metal? I love Igor. And the thing is, um, all of these houses, basically, I'll, I, I would say most of them have like two things that I'm like really into and then a third that I'm like not as familiar with or just not as into. And uh, it makes it difficult to choose which one I'd, I'd go with. Well, I guess it also gives you some uh, some other things to look into, huh? This, the ones you don't know. The gore grinders. Brutal, ferocious necro warriors and speed freaks that gain their power from paying tribute, paying tithe to the corpse piler, an ancient and colossal devil that squats over the cavernous machine forges close to the hellside of the city. By fusing their own flesh and that of their minions with black metal blades, devil blood injectors, and infernal engines, they pay homage uh, their machine god and are capable of wielding unbelievable power at a steep price as they are always teetering on the brink of igniting their own fierce blaze they're an aggressive melee team uh this is another one where unlike, unlike you i only know one of these bands from the soundtrack which is cannibal corpse suggested song i will kill you but also uh, songs by signs of the swarm and shadow of intent now, uh, the next one is the one that I think is, like, most interesting to me. Uh, oh, man, okay. Um, yeah, the, the sort of, the, like, the toxic necromancers. I particularly like their uh, Black Dahlia Murder Verminous and Cattle Decapitations Bring Back the Plague. Those are some jams. Yeah. Uh, don't Not as familiar with Sewage by Scumfuck. Um, <laughs> a bit disappointed that the rules do not let me just summon a whole bunch of slime. Uh, slimes are a horror, and there is a limit to your uh, certain types of units. Uh, you can only have up to two horrors in your group of like four to five uh, well, you, you know, the, the there there are some units that you can have uh, extras of that are thralls, right? Like if you look at their scum unit, yes. two of these units are worth one unit slot. So you can have a bunch of scum, Yeah, I not can, as much I can, slime. I can have a bunch of scum, but I want a whole bunch of slime. <laughs> well, you know, I think that this game would probably allow for something like that. We're looking at these prefab characters, but I wouldn't like just, you know... 
where's the harm in using the combining the rules for scum and slime, making slime a form of thrall and maybe nerfing it a bit so that it's on the same level of as the the scum rules? I think this game does uh, allow for that because it does encourage you to create your own uh, army, which is called a black mass. It says, you know, it's got all these rules for creating your necromancer and your own custom black mass. Slime I bet has, you could have slime as an ability called the gunk. Yeah, Surge inflicts too slow on the first unit affected. Surge is one of their act abilities. No idea what any of this means. Well, it's it's I I, I can tell you. What do you want to know? As I mentioned before, like you can move. Uh, you can see the stats at the top of the sheet there. MV is movement, so you can move four spaces with a slime. You can't move on diagonals, and uh, on your turn you can move and then you can act which means you can move four squares and then you can use one of these act abilities like surge. When you surge, you move with free, free movement and a straight line. During this move, it, you are immune to hazards and may move through walls and units. Any foe this unit passes through takes one toxic damage and this unit may pass off any plague tokens uh, on this unit to affected units. Uh, and then the gunk means that Surge can inflict too slow on the first unit affected. So what this means, Tom, is that when you move your slime, you can move it four spaces, and normally, if there is another unit or an environmental hazard on the board, your, your unit stops there. But slime can move freely through those things, and the first unit it moves through, it, gives, it makes it slower. So there you go. And if it passes through a unit, it takes toxic damage. The unit, the unit it passes through. Yeah, it's like because it's like a slime, right? Like it passes through that unit square and it leaves behind its its toxic damage. So, but you get the plague by percolating on yourself. Unless... That's right. So you percolate on your, it, you use the percolate ability to inflict one, two, or three plague tokens on yourself, and oh. then you inflict one slow on an adjacent unit per plague token gain. Also, so, as a plague lord, your necromancer is able to distribute plague tokens around. So this is all about having these plague tokens and, uh, you know, throwing them around so that you're slime deals out lots of plague yeah that's right so like the tactics with, with playing the uh the gargamox involve your necromancer dealing out those tokens to your units so that you can then use them to i mean if you're using like a slime use them to slow down and damage uh your enemy there's there is like it like for all that I find the rules easy to understand. I feel like the tactics are where the crunch is. Like you, I can already see, you know, careful planning going like, okay, my necromancer has this ability, so I should use these units so I can have those different abilities synergize with one another. But at the same time, I get the impression that you can probably just build a black mass army that is very just like, a to B, you know, run in and hit with a, a really hard strike kind of a kind of a thing. 
Uh, Dead Souls is the next one. The dark priests of the dead god Gormengar, who have died a second spiritual death. I don't think we should for... read all of these. No? <laughs> I mean, then we're just sort of reading the book. Nah, but I'm not... I mean, there's a lot that I'm leaving out here. I'm leaving out all these mechanics. Uh, because... You know, if I, I guess I'll just give a rundown. There, there's what left: dead souls, aborers, and Igori or Igori are the other, uh, the other ones. The dead souls are those dark priests. They got a real like black metal look to them. The abhor, the abhorrors are uh, an ancient heretic order that split off from the Holy Lance Church Knights 500 years ago. So they're they're kind of a like they got like a cleric bent to their to their flavor, uh, monk poets and philosophers and occultists. But uh, I'd say their design has a distinctly Asian uh, look to it. The the one in the book has is that a nodachi or an odachi, Tom? I don't know, but uh, their their individual little guys kind of look more like they they sort of have like a, a sort of like priestly vibe they've even got a dude that's one of, one of those biblically accurate angels yeah the holy body with the big ring of eyes around it and yeah their units look like uh they remind me of the design uh, of the game blasphemous you know that game yeah yeah and, very uh, much and you know I, I should talk is an ex exorcist yeah and you know what if we're, we should be describing these units so the carcass units for the most part the carcass units look like uh almost like riot squad zombies like there's one with a big yeah, riot shield like, and a baton they're like necro necro tactical paramilitary but there are a couple of like bone critters mixed in like the ammo goblin that uh he's got like a big sort of beaky knife on a you know on its face and then the uh the aegis weapon uh is is almost like it's almost like got the head of a shark on this big bony body with guns sticking out of it. And uh, the gore grinders, uh, I feel like the gore grinders for the most part, uh, they're either like resident evil monsters or Cenobites. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of like Very, that. Like, like the slasher villain, like Cenobite slasher villain. Yeah. Like the pain ghoul uh, who has her face like opened up into a, a, a star shape. Uh, revealing her skull and flesh beneath and she's got like a hooked whip very uh cenobite there but then there's like carnifex who's basically like leather face has got you know uh kind of adjacent hockey mask huge hulking dude with an apron and a chainsaw i like the pain wheel which i guess is like a tortured skeleton strapped to a giant spiked wheel that rolls around it's pretty dope uh, yeah, the and we talked about the Gargamox, where uh, it's like this this toxic theme, you know, play, the slime, the scum, uh, the rotten. The rotten uh, looks like Nemesis. And yeah, uh, Dead Souls have, they, they kind of have a Cenobite thing going on as well. Like the Chosen unit uh, looks like a Cenobite. Um, the Visigeist has a very this is like really occult like i'd say to, these guys probably have the most occult to, to me, them lots of inverted crosses to me the the gore grinders are like slashers and cenobites and then the dead souls are more like the kind of things you see in like uh the conjuring or like 
uh, one of those movies. Oh, know? yeah, like a, like an like insidious the, kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, then the Abhorrors, as we said, these, are, these have like an unholy quality. Uh, lots of gold and sort of priestly robes, like the anti-priest, you know, it has this this spiky sword a gold mask and a like a sensor the sensor is even one of the anti-priest's uh, abilities i'm seeing here it's a splash effect and then finally the i get the igory the igory i guess uh they are mad scientists uh experimenters scientists and traveling physicians the igori are made up of those who have fallen into the darker sciences whether by their own inquiries or through accident or misfortune and uh, the art here is is pretty fun, uh, a real colorful purple character with big shades, uh, either smoking or sucking on a lollipop. I can't tell, but uh, this this person has uh, six demonic arms coming out of their back, with all sorts just of holding various tools. Yeah, surgical instruments. Yeah, and then all of the. Uh, the units for this one all look like sort of horrible experiments. The stitch is like two ghouls stitched together. It's got two heads. Uh, the lichen is obviously, it looks like a, like a kind of a werewolf, but it's got like a messed up face. It's almost like its eyes have been removed or stitched shut or something. Chop Doc uh, has three faces and a belt with like arms hanging off of it. Uh, the Strigoi, Strigoi, is like a three-armed bat. It's pretty wild. And then the homunculus is just like a, a being constructed out of limbs and heads. It has like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight arms, two legs, and I see at least four heads. And of carrying like yeah, of sort like weird. I don't know. They got faces on them, one, <laughs> and it's carrying a bunch of blades. Too. Yeah. The top one just has eyes. Yeah. And yeah, and then the necromancer for that one is the chirurgeon. Uh, only has half a face. The bottom half of the necromancer's face is is kind of a rotten skull. And so, like, so that's it. Pick your team. The rules are all here. A lot of this is just like flavor. But uh, each team does have its own unique abilities. It has its own unique units. There's a lot of potential for customization. Um, as I said, just like reading through the rules, this is a D6-based game. And I feel like if you have ever played any sort of tactical game, like, you know, I play a lot of XCOM, and I feel like I can understand a lot of the movement rules and environmental hazards and area of effect things pretty easily just from my experience playing something like XCOM or Into the Breach. Maybe Into the Breach is a better example or Chaos Reborn. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. I think I think this is really cool. I think this is really neat. And uh, it's something that I talked about last time and I, we touched upon it this time, you know, talking about this oversaturation of rpgs and going like oh man do i need another game to play i was kind of relieved when i discovered that this wasn't yeah, really this an rpg that. yeah this, this ain't that this is, turned, turned out to be a little skirmish war game and suddenly i'm like you know i could play this this is cool i don't this isn't the kind of thing where i got to retain all the rules in my head and finding out that everything is already pre-built into uh 
into tabletop simulator like yeah man i give this a shot and it's all Seems based on metal and it is all based on metal which i was so delighted to see those those soundtracks for the factions soundtracks on the pages i was like oh man this is this is tom's jam i was right kind of yeah, is this your jam me. yeah you got me it's pretty dope it is it is pretty cool and uh I don't know, maybe sometime over Christmas break we can give it a shot, or just sometime in the indeterminate future, whenever we got a moment. Maybe. You'll have to teach me the rules, though. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think I can do that. And uh, right. And I, I thought this was just so, just cool enough that I'm, I'm gonna look into a lot more from Tom Bloom going forward. Seems... Like uh, like some pretty pretty cool stuff coming and, from this person, and also the creator of Goblin with a Fat Ass, right? That's right, yeah, Goblin That's with a Fat Ass, so the two-page RPG with uh, with elements of Forged in the Dark that seems playable, however ridiculous it is. All right, well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, see when we post new episodes, or follow us. Check us out on Compare and Campaign on Facebook. And uh, if you want to see our show notes and supplemental materials, check us out on comparecampaign.wordpress.com. But we're a little behind on those, so sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? Not me. Uh, don't steal, it's haunted. Get that ding, but not that kind of ding. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs>